Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Vision, in which we look at visions in the Bible in order to discern God's vision for different areas of our lives. Here's Pastor Nick. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. So today is the first Sunday of a month, and the first Sunday of the year, and the first Sunday of a new decade, and so we are doing a series called Vision, in which we're going to be looking at the idea of vision throughout the Bible in kind of five categories. Here's kind of an outline for the series. So we're going to look at vision for your future, that's today. Then we're going to talk about vision for the city, vision for your situation, vision for the church, and vision for others. So we want you to keep those dates in mind and make sure that you're here. Maybe there's some people that you want to invite, knowing these topics ahead of time, that you want to invite to be here, especially for one of those. But as we go through this series, we're going to be also seeking God for His vision for us, for our lives as individuals, and also for us as a church corporately. So let's begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. So Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, here at the beginning of this year, we want to dedicate this time to you. We want to dedicate our lives, all of our lives to you, but particularly this year, Lord. We ask that this would be a year of growing in the knowledge of you, of growing closer to you, Lord, and of growing in the areas where you would have us grow. And so, Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We give our attention to you. We ask that you would speak to us and cause us to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this message is A Vision for Your Future. Now, what I want you to do is if you would just go with me in your mind, take a little trip with me in your mind, in your imagination. Here's what I want you to do. Imagine your current age spelled out in numbers, you know, like uh, maybe somebody brings you balloons on your birthday that spell out the number of your age, or maybe you have those candles on your cake, like we always do for our kids, that spell out the number of your age, okay? So just imagine that number in your mind right now that you currently are. Now I want you to add five and go in your mind five years into the future. Five more numbers on there. I know for some of you that's a little bit scary, trepidatious, but I want you to do it. Just imagine five years in the future, whatever that number is, and I want you to envision you in five years. I want you to think about that and ask this, who will you be? Who will you be in five years? What will your life look like? What will be the same? What will be different What will our church be like in five years? What will be the same? What will be different? Think about people you know and love. What are you praying for and hoping for that will be different in their lives in five years' time from now? You know, it's been said that most of us, what we do is we overestimate what can be done in the short term, and we underestimate what can be done in the long term. We overestimate what can be done in the short term, but we underestimate what can be done in the long term. Just this past week, uh, a friend of mine, uh, who has never been, you know, a very athletic person, uh, what he did is he, he posted online, uh, this was on Friday, that for the past week, 
He has been working out and eating healthy every single day, and he hasn't lost any weight, and he's thinking about giving up because what's the point? He tried, and it didn't work. And of course, people are commenting on there and saying, bro, it's been a week. Like, give it some time, okay? Just stick with it for a while. But, but isn't this our tendency, right, in our society today? Everything's so fast-paced. It's just add water, you know, microwave one minute. We expect things to happen quickly and immediately. And for many of us, our tendency is if we don't get what we want right away, we jump ship, we bail, we quit. As soon as something isn't fun anymore or we're not ecstatic about it or, you know, we tried and it didn't work like we hoped it would work immediately, uh, we quit. We change jobs, we change churches, we change relationships, we, we change everything, we change houses. And here's the thing. We often don't stick with things long enough to see significant impact. That, that's what our tendency is, even as a society. I was just thinking about my, my own self. I remember when I was 17, I determined I'm going to learn Spanish. So here's what I did. I decided every day I'm going to listen to Spanish radio for six hours a day. And by the, you know, it should take, I don't know, what a week, two weeks, and I should be fine, right? I should be able to speak Spanish. Turns out that's not how it works. So I, uh, I listened to Spanish radio every day for like six hours for two weeks, and all I got was a headache, and I learned like uh, I learned that they sing a lot of Celine Dion songs translated into Spanish. That's the other thing I learned. But I didn't learn Spanish, and then I gave up because, hey, I tried, and it didn't work. Now, now on the other hand, the next year, I moved to another country. I moved to Hungary, and over the course of 10 years, slowly and steadily, I did learn to speak absolutely fluently another language and so see the thing is that we often underestimate what can be done in the long term if we just stick with it if we just wait until we hit our stride and, and so we, we're so quick to bail on things before we're able to actually see significant impact in those areas you know I've met again so many people who said hey I tried Christianity but it didn't work for me so I, I quit or I used to go to church but I quit I, I, I tried small groups but it didn't work for me so I quit I was in this ministry and I didn't like something and so I quit. And one of the dangers we often face so often is right that we, we think too short-term. That's, that's one of the big dangers that we face. We think too short-term or too short-sighted. And that's why here at the beginning of this year, right, everybody's thought is, let's think forward. You know, we're on the clock now. 2021 is coming. And so we've got one year to see what we can do in one year. I want to say no. I want to say this. Let's think about bigger than that. Let's think not only more time, but let's think bigger vision. And let's think five years. Let's think five years. I, I want you to think about five years from now. Why? Because five years is enough time for significant change to take place. Five years is enough time that if you start now, you could be in a much better place spiritually or, or in any area of your life, financially, relationship-wise, in your marriage or with your kids or in your job. And here's the thing, though. It won't just happen automatically by you thinking it would be nice if it happened. It won't just happen on its own automatically. You could be in a different place five years from now, or you could just binge watch Netflix, and you could watch all the Netflix and neglect the things that really matter. So the question is this, what does it take, what does it look like to go from where you are right now to where you desire to be and where God desires you to be in five years from now? Here's what I know. 
I know this. God has a vision for your life. And that's what I want to talk about a lot today. God has a vision for your life. When he looks at you, he doesn't just look at where you are right now. And he's certainly not hung up on your past. When God looks at you, he also looks at the person he sees in you, the person he desires you to be, the person he knows that you can be in him and through his spirit's work inside of you. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide or remain, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And by the way, every year what we do is we, we choose like an idea or a concept for that year to kind of be a theme or, a, you know, characterizing what we desire for the year. And last year it was faith in motion. That's what we wanted to be about was faith in motion. We studied James and, and the minor prophets and things like that. Well, this year our theme is going to be abide. Abide and bear fruit. Those two ideas. Abide and bear fruit. And that comes from John 15, which is this thing that Jesus says that I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, abide, you know, remain on the outset, that sounds like a passive word, doesn't it? It sounds sedentary. It doesn't seem to imply movement. But I want you to know that this abiding is active. It's not passive. It's active, not passive. And so as we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. And later on in that same chapter, Jesus says, it is as you bear fruit, it is by bearing fruit, which happens as a result of abiding in Jesus, that is how you bring glory to the Father. That's how the Father is glorified through us. But notice what Jesus says here. I always found this, this phrase interesting. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's kind of an odd thing to say, isn't it? I mean, because I do lots of things. Uh, I could probably do lots of things apart from Jesus. I could brush my teeth. I can drive my car. I can make coffee apart from Jesus. There are billions of people around the world who live their lives apart from Jesus, and they do lots of things. So what's Jesus saying? Well, he's not just saying anything in general. He's saying, apart from him, you cannot do anything of true significance. You cannot do anything of lasting significance. In other words, uh, transformation, salvation, the things that really matter cannot be done apart from him. You can't do those things on your own apart from him. See, the Bible tells us there are three aspects to salvation. Three aspects to salvation. And they're, they're characterized by three words. Those words would be justification, glorification, and sanctification. Justification is used oftentimes in the past tense because it's a once and for all type of action. It's when God declares you righteous, right? Justified. It's past tense. So it's when you put your faith in Jesus and he saves you from the penalty of sin. So justification is about the penalty of sin. Glorification is when Jesus will ultimately one day save you in the future from the very presence of sin. That's glorification. That's also part of salvation. But then there's another part, and that's the part that happens in between. The justification and the glorification happens sanctification. Sanctification is God saving you from the power of sin as the Holy Spirit works in you and you set your life apart to God. So when the Bible talks about salvation, it's comprehensive. It's, it's all-encompassing, right? It's past, present, future. You are saved. You have been saved. You will be saved, and you are being saved. It's his work in you. Apart from him, you can't do this. That sanctification, that transformation. But here's the important thing I want you to see, and that's this. You have an important role to play in this process. You have an important role to play in this process. Your participation matters, 
And in our study today, we're going to look at the examples of some people whose lives were transformed as they took God's hand and they said yes to him and they took steps of faith and obedience and walked with him. And as we do that, what we're going to do is we're going to identify some key elements that were involved in their transformations. And as we do that, of course, we're seeking God's vision for our lives and for our church collectively. And here's, here's my first point. I've only got two points for you today. Point number one is this. Men and women of God are not born, they're made. They're not born, they're made. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at BeSetFreeRadio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. So in Mark chapter 1, this text that we just read a few minutes ago, we see Jesus walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is a large lake in northern Israel. It's created by the Jordan River. It's a natural lake. And the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is walking along the shores, and he's calling his first disciples. And the way he does it, Mark tells us, is that he walked up to people, and he said, hey, come follow me. And then apparently they just dropped whatever they were doing, and they followed him. Now, I just want you to put yourself in their shoes for a second because it is a bit strange, at least it seems strange, to be like, hey, you come follow me, and then I just stop what I'm doing and follow you, right? Like if somebody walks up to you tomorrow at work, you're working, somebody walks in, says, hey, follow me. You're not going to follow that person, right? You might call security. You might call the police, depending on where you work, right? And if somebody pulls up to you in a parking lot in their car and says, hey, get in my car and come with me, Again, you're going to call the cops, right? This is a weird thing to do. Um, but in Jesus' case, why? You know, it always strikes me. Hey, you, follow me. And they're like, all right, I'll just leave everything and follow you. Why would they do that? Well, see, in Jesus' case, you got to understand, these people already knew who Jesus was. How did they know who Jesus was? Well, about 40 or 50 days prior to this event, Jesus had had his big reveal, right? He had been baptized in the Jordan River just to this direct east of Jerusalem. Very prominent place. There's a guy named John the Baptist who happened to be Jesus' cousin. And he came and he said, I'm going to tell you who the Messiah is. One day, I'm going to reveal it to you. And then one day, Jesus walks down to the Jordan River when he's 30 years old. And John the Baptist says, here he is. This is the one. It was the big reveal. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, 40, 50 days have passed. And so news has spread of this event, right? People are curious. They've heard about Jesus of Nazareth, who John the Baptist said was the Messiah. And so when Jesus shows up now by the Sea of Galilee, people already know who he is. News has spread about this. And the reason they leave everything right away the way that they do is because it was a great honor in those days to be invited to be a disciple of a rabbi, especially if that rabbi was the Messiah. So of course it makes sense that you would drop everything and follow him. See, what Jesus was inviting these men into was what we might think of more in terms of a, a personal mentoring relationship, right? To be a disciple wasn't just to, you know, agree intellectually with the things that Jesus taught. To be a disciple in this sense was more like an internship, it's more like what we call today an internship. The purpose of that relationship was, you know, 
Jesus is essentially your boss, your leader, and the purpose of that relationship is that Jesus is going to teach you, and he's going to train you, and he's going to equip you to do his work. It's like an internship. It's a mentoring relationship. Now, there were a lot of people who followed Jesus during his ministry, but these 12 men were the closest to him by far. They were full-time disciples. They traveled everywhere that Jesus traveled and went with him, and they were handpicked by Jesus to do that. You know, these 12 are the ones who later become the 12 apostles. So whereas disciple means like a mentee, like a mentor-mentee relationship, apostle means something different. Apostle means someone who is sent, someone who's commissioned, someone who's sent out on a mission to do a particular task. So these men were tasked, they were handpicked, trained over the course of three years, and chosen to be sent out to carry out Jesus' mission in the world after his departure. Seven of these 12 men later go on to write portions of the Bible. Seven of these 12 men. In the book of Revelation, it says that the names of these 12 men are written on the walls of the heavenly city. They're written on the foundations of the heavenly city. These guys that we see right now, these guys who were found fishing by the Sea of Galilee, they're a pretty big deal. And, and what Jesus was inviting them to was a pretty big deal. That's why they dropped everything and followed him. But who were these men? It's all, it's all the more impressive when you think about who they started out as. Well, both Matthew and Luke give us a full list of the 12 disciples. I've got that for you there on the screen as well as the verse where you can find those. But it's interesting to look through this list. Several of these men were fishermen. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, we see that when Jesus called them, he used this phrase, right? Follow me and I will make you become... And that's a key word, become. Here is who you will become with me. I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus had a vision for who they could become if they gave their lives to him. See, when Jesus looked at them, he didn't just see who they were. He saw who they could become if they put their lives in his hands. They were just simple fishermen. But I want you to think about who they became in less than five years' time. Who did they become in less than five years' time? They became apostles, leaders, missionaries who took the gospel to the ends of the earth. We know that some of them went to India. They went as far north as Armenia and the Caucasus. They went down into Africa. These men did those things. Simple fishermen, untrained, unlearned. These are people through whom God changed the world. And again, it's all so incredible when you consider who they were and who they started out as. Only one of these 12 men came from nobility or money, and that would be Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel. The other 11 out of the 12, they came from blue-collar, working-class families. One of them was a tax collector, who, by the way, was the most despised position you could possibly have in society at that time if you were a Jew. Because tax collectors were considered to be complicit with the Romans. They were essentially sellouts and traitors. They were Jews who worked for the Romans, who were occupying Israel. And their taxes that they collected essentially supported and propped up the Roman occupation of Israel. So if you were a tax collector, you would have a lot of money, but you wouldn't have a lot of friends. Now, on the other hand, there's this other guy that sticks out to me who's called Simon the Zealot. 
Simon the Zealot. Now you might think, oh, zealous, it just means he was really excited. No, Zealot was actually a political party. The Zealots were kind of a political action group of far-right nationalists. Right Today we would, we would equate them, you can think if you have heard of like Hezbollah in, in the Middle East. It's a similar kind of group, right? They want to drive out the occupying forces by using violence. And the Zealots were famous for assassinating Roman officials. This is kind of their gig. It's what they did. They would carry these hooked knives. Now why were they hooked knives? Because they were, in, they were designed to cause maximum damage. So they would carry hooked knives with them under their coats, and then when they would see a Roman official in a marketplace or walking down a busy street, they would ambush that Roman official, stab them in the guts, and try to kill them. That's what they did. And so this is, Jesus picks one of those guys too, right? So a tax collector and a domestic terrorist, right? So here's Simon the Zealot, who's a person, he would have killed somebody like Matthew out on the streets, right? They were enemies. They were on different ends of the political spectrum. They had nothing in common. Neither of them was the kind of person who anybody in that day would want to be associated with. And yet Jesus calls these two men to himself. He gives them a new direction. He gives them a new future, a new destiny, a new identity, and a new vision for their future. On the street, these men would have been enemies. But yet in Jesus, they become brothers. They become together. They become apostles. And when you look at the disciples who Jesus chose... You know, you think he handpicked these people. He could have picked anybody. Why these people? They weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the best in society, the best and the brightest. If these guys applied to work at a church today, none of them would get hired, except for Judas, because he was good at bookkeeping, right? Churches always need bookkeepers. So we would have definitely hired Judas. But the other ones, you, you're not educated. You can't read. You can't even do anything. What are your qualifications? You kill people, right? No, you cannot work at our church. And so we would not have hired these people. And yet Jesus looks at these people and he saw not just who they were. He wasn't hung up on their past, but he looked at who they could become in him. He had a vision for their future. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. See, men and women of God are not born, they are made. And there are two crucial steps in this process that we see in every case like this in the Bible. Number one, we see the call of God. So God initiates, but then secondly, and also importantly, we see our response. So God's call and our response is like two pedals on the bicycle. God's the one who initiates and we respond. It's a symbiotic relationship. God has a vision for your life. There are things he is calling you to do. And the question is, how will you respond? How will you respond? These guys, it says that they immediately left their nets and followed him. They left their nets and followed him. And as a result, their lives are transformed and their destinies are changed. Now, let me, let me show you another example. Come with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Abraham, if you've ever heard of him, he's also kind of a big deal. Abraham in Genesis, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what we know about Abraham at this point in his life. He was an elderly man married to a barren woman, and he was a pagan. He was a pagan. We're told that in Joshua chapter 24 that Abraham was a pagan. So God shows up and he gives this couple, these people, he gives them a very different vision 
for their lives, of what their future can be like. His vision for them is not that they will just be barren, pagan people forever. He says, no, I want to make you a father and a mother of a great nation. And through you, I want to bless all people in the world. But there's a contingency. There's something that has to happen. And in order for that to take place, they have to go. That's the contingency. Go. You have to respond by following God's instructions and doing what God tells you to do. So when God looks at Abraham and Sarah, he doesn't just see a pagan old man and a barren old woman. No, he sees who they could become. He saw a patriarch and a matriarch. He saw the model of what it looks like for the rest of time, of what it looks like to walk with God in a relationship. And Abram ends up becoming the only man in the entire Bible who's given a particular distinction. Three times in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God. In Isaiah, God actually calls him Abraham, my friend, right? So it's not like people are putting that on Abraham. God said, no, no, no. That guy, he's my friend, Abraham. And notice this, God's vision for Abraham's life wasn't just about Abraham. That's the thing that sticks out to me. It was bigger than Abraham. There there were other people that God wanted to reach and bless through Abraham. In the same way, God has a vision for your life. But his vision for your life is not just about you. Do you realize that? His vision for your life is bigger than you. There are things that he wants to accomplish in you and through you. There are people he wants to reach in you and through you. His vision for your life includes you, but it's bigger than you. And again, what we see with Abraham is that God initiates and we respond. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.